it's not just white Jesus that I hate, it's male Jesus too. I have to find another image of the divine that heals me of this and also can potentially heal us all. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the podcast where being labeled a heretic is a good thing. We're starting conversations about God, politics, sexuality, spiritual formation, how we got here, and how to move forward post-evangelicalism. Nothing is off-limits in our conversations with scholars, seekers, activists, and writers in our quest to uncover the heart of faith. Welcome to Holy Heretics. In Matthew Fox's avant-garde book, Original Blessing, he writes, How is religion to be an agent of transformation if religion itself is not transformed? Even more personal for us, how is Christianity to be a movement for change if Christianity itself is not fixed? And it seems the most fundamental concept within our faith that needs to be revolutionized is our view of God. Now, since both the Hebrew scriptures and the early writings of the church were conceived and written in patriarchal cultures, mostly by men, God has been handed down to us for centuries in male form. I know at least I grew up believing God was a guy, and to be more specific, God was an old white guy. We refer to God with primarily male pronouns, and we've been indoctrinated for years to call God Father, but never to call God Mother. And I think in so doing, we've erased the divine feminine from not only our vocabulary, but from our imagination. Because if God can be described and envisioned as Father, well, God can most certainly be seen as Mother. And this isn't something that I'm creating or our guest today has created. It's all over the biblical story, and it is witnessed throughout Christian history. In Isaiah, we read, I, Yahweh, groan like a woman in labor. I suffocate. I stifle. Further along in the same book, we read, Does a woman forget her baby at the breast or fail to cherish the son of her womb? Yet even if these forget, I... Yahweh will never forget you. In the Gospels, Jesus assumes this female persona when he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who were sent to you, how often I would have gathered your children together as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. In Hosea, God is described as both a gentle mother and as a mama bear. I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them up in my arms. And then we read, I will attack them like a bear bereaved of her cubs. And further back in history in Deuteronomy, God is seen as a birthing mother. You are unmindful and have forgotten the God who gave you birth. We also see God portrayed as mother throughout the words of the Christian mystics. Meister Eckhart wrote, What does God do all day long? God gives birth. From all eternity, God lies on a maternity bed giving birth. Medieval mystic Julian of Norwich wrote 600 years ago, Just as God is our father, so God is also our mother. Now, the idea of God as mother may not be new to you, though it might be new to some of us. The idea of God as a black woman? 
whoa, that that feels incendiary. That feels a little bit of a bridge too far, or or does it? What it might reveal, however, is that our white supremacy, even in progressive Christian circles, is so replete. It is so instilled in us that to see God as a beautiful black woman feels a bit jarring. But maybe it shouldn't, because there are ancient traditions of experiencing the divine black female form in almost every great religion, including Christianity. In Christianity, she is the Black Madonna, a divine mystery veiled in blackness. My wife and I were recently in France, and we came upon one of the icons of the Blessed Black Madonna in a cathedral in Paris. She was beautiful. She was mysterious. She was powerful. She was also unnerving. She is enshrined in countless pilgrim churches, in remote monasteries and tiny chapels, in vast cathedrals and dark crypts and upon high altars all over Europe, including Sicily and Spain, Switzerland, France, Poland, Czechoslovakia, and Turkey. And as I said, to us in Christianity, she is the Black Madonna, but she's also represented as the Black Tara in China. She is the dark and powerful Kali in India, and she is portrayed as Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico. This divine black image of God has been visited and prayed to and seen by millions of people for hundreds of years. So what I want to do today is introduce you to a new view of God. God is a woman. God is a black woman. God is the divine black feminine. Oh, by the way, I never introduced myself. Uh, my name is Gary Allen. I'm the co-founder of the Sophia Society and host of Holy Heretics Podcast. And welcome to what I believe is going to be a paradigm-changing conversation about God with Dr. Christina Cleveland. Dr. Christina Cleveland is a social psychologist, public theologian, author, and activist. She is the founder and director of the Center for Justice Plus Renewal, as well as its sister organization, Sacred Folk, which creates resources to stimulate people's spiritual imaginations and support their journeys toward liberation. An award-winning researcher and former professor at Duke University's Divinity School, Christina lives in Boston, Massachusetts. So, Dr. Cleveland, welcome to the show. It's, it's truly an honor to have you today. Thank you. It's a joy to be here. All right. Well, I want to kind of ask you a, a simple question to get started. What's something that's like not mentioned in your bio that would help us get to know you better? Or maybe what's something that you wish everyone knew about you? Huh. Well, something that's not in my bio is that I'm a huge baseball fan. Uh oh. Grew up watching the Oakland A's, the Bash Brothers, and Ricky Henderson, and mm -hmm. Carl and all those players. Um, and Moneyball remains my favorite movie. You know, I just saw that like two months ago, and I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, it's well, it's well done. <laughs> I, 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 and I must say, I've got a little bit of a man crush on Brad Pitt. So, you know, it, it didn't hurt that he was in it. <laughs> I, I think he's fine, but I was like, Billy Bean's so much cooler than Brad Pitt. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, so as, as I mentioned to you off air, we are dedicating season three here of Holy Heretics to voices and bodies and people who have been marginalized by 
what I would call uh, dominator Christianity, um, whether it be because of gender or sexuality or race or just the fact that you didn't fit into this sort of uh, normative expression of Christianity. I, I, I don't want to overassume, but I'm going to guess that throughout your life, based on my readings of, of so many of your works, that you experienced at some point this, this sense of muzzling or marginalization that takes place within normative Christianity. Was that true for you? And if so, Maybe when was the first time you realized, like, whoa, I, I do not fit in with this um, kind of typical white American conservative Christianity? Hmm. Yeah. You know, I think the first time I knew that was when I was five years old. And I tell this story towards the beginning of my book. Um, I was at vacation Bible school at another church because um, my mom had us going to multiple VBSs every summer. and. <laughs> right. It was an all white church, as, as you know, it was vacation Bible schools are like white evangelical, basically. So, right. um, you know, it was an all white church, and um, our teacher, um, my brother and I were the only black kids, and our teacher yelled at us and called us niggers. And that was the oh. first time I had ever heard that word because <laughs> I was five and I didn't grow up in a home where that word was used, right? Um, but I knew it was about me and, and it was about my skin color, and I knew it was bad. Um, and I felt so, I felt like a, um, a, a br like bricks of shame in my stomach. Hmm. Um, and that's when I knew on some level, I don't belong here. I'm not supposed to be here. I, I had an inkling, you know, cause even as a five-year-old, I was like, uh, we don't look the same as these people. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, um, but I, I, some, I, be, I was somewhat accustomed to that. I'd been going to VBS all summer, you know, so, hmm. um, I, I knew that I was different, but that sort of. Um, made it clear that my difference was bad and that I didn't belong, even though, again, mm. I didn't know what the word meant. <laughs> right, right. Um, or it's obviously it's like historical significance and all that stuff. So, you know, that was probably the first time um, as, a, as a young child that I experienced that. Um, but I'm also a little bit diff unique than a lot of people who have who have a lot of experience in white evangelical Christianity, um, because on the one hand, I don't know I don't know anyone who has more legit evangelical street cred than I do. I mean, I've done it all <laughs> from like YWAM to teaching at Westmont College to you name it. I mean, Awana, like I've done it all. Um, but I also have a lot of experience in the Black Pentecostal Church too. And um, theologically, the Black Pentecostal Church is pretty similar to evangelicalism, and so I felt some alienation there as a woman because it's it can be it can be patriarchal the space, right. yeah. Um, also, just the emphasis on holiness um, and never feeling like I could be holy enough, even mm -hmm. though I was like about as earnest as could come. <laughs> right. right. So, um, so it was interesting that even in black spaces, I felt. Um, alienated and unwelcome, but perhaps for different reasons, but related. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So in your book, uh, God is a Black Woman, um, you reference this notion of, and, and I love the way that you put all these three words together, white male God, um, mm. into like one descriptive connotation of 
the God that most of us have been introduced to and the God that most of us just sort of, you know, implicitly and complicitly worship. So when you describe the white male God, um, what what is that? What does that mean to you? And what are what's some of the baggage that is connected to that concept of God that a lot of us, no matter what our uh, our, our racial or gender backgrounds, have just sort of accepted to be true? Yeah, yeah. So you know, I think of white male God is like a is complex, right? So I, I think I think of him as a person, and he shows mm-hmm. up to people. Um, and I think of him as a practice, <laughs> like the practice of valuing white, white, whiteness and and maleness over everything else. Um, and then I also think of him as like an institution, you know, like this is the same God who's like we're supposed to trust who's on the dollar bill. Um, mm-hmm. And I also think of him as, as an idea, you know, this like overarching um malaise really or doom gloom and doom that if if and and I'd say it it's you know I think in the book I sort of in a tongue-in-cheek way call him the patron of white patriarchy or like the patron mm-hmm. of whiteness and toxic masculinity so I would say white male god is the sort of spiritual or religious um organizing principle behind um behind this white patriarchy that flows in our world. And so, you know, the example would be um, the fact that, you know, it's it's somewhat implicit, like we don't often think about it, but he's everywhere. He's on the dollar bill in the in the form of in God we trust underneath white, um, George Washington, who was a white mm-hmm. slave Christian man. Right. Um, he's, he's on the Supreme Court, just in the composition of the court and also the politics of the court. Um, and so he's kind of everywhere. He's not just in white Jesus, which is mm-hmm. like the, the sort of like visual symbol that that people think of when we think of white male God. And then he's in he's in us. He's in our personality, or he well he's in our practices, right? So in the ways that we're formed. So that in me, and I think in most people that he shows up, it's like in this um, obsession with perfection, obsession with certainty, um, obsession with tradition. And, um, and the need for people outside of ourselves to approve of us um, and really valuing, you know, the sort of hierarchical leadership structures and what they think of us. And so it's this like disease, right, <laughs> right. Disease, you know, he's he it, I, I, I intentionally, you know, I, I thought about when I was writing the book, I was like, you know, do I want to call it an it or like a system or do I want to call it a he? And I landed on he, but mm-hmm. it's also in a system. Right, <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Well, and it it does feel like that it shapes. I mean, I think it was Richard Rohr that says, you know, we we become who we worship, and we we do worship by and large, and and not just white American evangelicalism. I think the global yeah. Christianity, at least the global North, worships this top down male white lawgiver, judge, rational, uh, colonizer, powerful, like. He holds all the wisdom. We don't hold any of it. You know, we're servants and it's, yeah, it's, I would, I mean, it's, it's, it's scary. You know, I've traveled so much and it's scary to see how much white male God has poisoned, um, all, all really a lot, so much of global, like global Christianity because evangelicalism has just been so, um, well colonized. It's been such a colonizer, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah. 
So when was the first time, so you said, and I would consider myself too sort of an evangelicals evangelical. I mean, my God, I worked at Focus on the Family in early, yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you. So like early on in my career and, you know, I, I woke up to the fact that this version of God was antithetical to Jesus. It was, um, the, the exact opposite of the person that I wanted to become. What was the what was the triggering point for you beyond that that story as a five year old when you you at least for the first part woke up to the fact, look, I'm different. I'm not sure I'm welcome here, but when did you begin to deconstruct white male God and what was kind of the impetus work toward that? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it was in stages, of course, but um mm-hmm. But I would say a real catalytic moment was uh, in 2012 when Trayvon Martin was killed by George mm-hmm. Zimmerman. Because um, yep. at that point, I was in all of these Christian spaces. I was kind of like the head reconciliation person, you know, was right, had written a book and was out, you know, kind of doing all this reconciliation work within pr- mostly white evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. And um, there was this like, for the first time, I think there was a national conversation in my adulthood around race that was hard to miss. <laughs> and um, that was the first time where these communities that claimed to love me and claimed to call me family and we're all brothers and sisters in Christ and that, that, snap literally could not hear black mm. people, like just could not. And the violence of their, the violence of their silencing yeah. Um, and, you know, and these are, I was like tithing heavily to some of these organizations, volunteering my time. You know, I was like a young life volunteer doing all this stuff. Right. And um, just to see how quickly they, um, I, they saw me as no longer part of the family simply because I was inviting them into this conversation that like literally was happening all over the country. <laughs> like, right, right. This is a mainstream conversation. Um, and so that, that was huge. And that's when I started to really think there's a problem with white Jesus. Like they can't see my sacredness. These people can't see my, they're, they're theologically incapable of seeing my sacredness. Um, and so that, you know, that was huge. And then I started focusing a lot on, um, race and, um, the problem of white Jesus. Um, but you know, as a black woman, I never really found, I I never really found a space where I could explore gender, the gender Mm -hmm. of Jesus because, um, or the exclusive, the exclusivity of male Jesus, I guess I could say, um, because as a black woman, I couldn't ever show up as both black and female. Um, they had these like um, um, sort of multi-ethnic church spaces that were like extremely patriarchal. And I was often the only female speaker there mm. um, and would, you know, while I'm walking up to stage, some of these big old conferences have fellow speakers telling me as I'm walking up to the stage, I actually completely disagree with the fact that you're speaking on the stage God. with me. <laughs> well, yeah. Thank you for, you know, sharing space with me, white dude or yeah, totally. guy, whatever. Yeah. Weird, like um, sort of Acts 29 conferences that like. Oh God. Yes. Yeah. So it was weird, this weird dynamic. But then on the other hand, and I really don't want to poo poo on, um, you know, the deceased, but um, on the other hand, there was sort of the Rachel Held Evans, like sort of feminist world. And that mm-hmm. was a really white space. And right. um, 
And, you know, for all the work that I think she was trying to do, she wasn't at the space. She wasn't at, she never got a chance to develop into like what I would call a real anti-racist leader. And so um, I never felt like I could show up as fully black in those spaces. Mm. So I really had to choose. Am I going to focus on, am I going to focus on like my womanhood or am I going to focus on my race? And I just chose race. Um, And so it really wasn't until um, like Trump getting elected that I like, had this uh, awakening where it's like, Christina, it doesn't matter what people can handle in you. Like you have to show up as both female and black because in the run up to his election, of course, of course he was a a joke at first and then, but then he became serious. And then, and then he started saying like racist and xenophobic things. And of course I wasn't surprised when like the evangelicals were, um, became apologists for him because I know they're racist. Like I had been talking about race for years in this community. Um, But when, you know, the fall of the election, when he like publicly, you know, um, was talking about assaulting white women, that's when I was like, oh, surely they're going to come to defend their precious white women. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, this is the, this is the one thing they will at least stand up for. Right. Like, cause I've just seen how I, I kind of joke that white femininity is like a fruit of the spirit in the evangelical world. <laughs> you know? like I was, so I was literally shocked when I saw them circling the wagons around him after that. And that's when I was like, yeah, like it's, it's not just white Jesus that I hate. It's male Jesus too. Mm. And I have to find another image of the divine that um, that heals me of this and also can potentially heal us all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was quite desperate in that moment because I, I had spent years and years and years being disillusioned around white Jesus and then, um, you know, kind of having to face this other aspect too. And um, yeah, it was a lot, a lot to handle <laughs> for someone yeah. who, you know, like I was, I was thinking about it actually. I was on the bus recently and I was thinking, I don't think any, any, no one person has broken my heart like the church has, Mm. you know, like in terms of just how much effort, I mean, I wrote a book about disunity in the church. I was a professor at a seminary. Like I believed so much that the church, you know, the Christian church could be the vehicle through which God heals, you know, and it's not that, um, yeah. And so I, I think I invested so much. And so then to finally to see Trump get elected <laughs> and to um, say this, this has been my home, you know, um, that was heartbreaking. It really was. Yeah. yeah. Well, and to me, that was the culmination, I think, of the the end. Um, you know, obviously, white evangelicalism is not going away. They have too much power and they have too much money. So they're, they're going to be around. But I think for so many of us, that was the final straw like okay i'm done i i this is this is not only a bridge too far but this is the um the exposing of who you've been all along and we just didn't want to believe it um yeah and and i think that that that's to me spawned the deconstruction movement yeah i mean i think i agree with you that for a lot of people that you know that was their experience And also, I think a lot of us had been, because of white male God, a lot of us had been formed to think that our job was to be this bridge Mm -hmm. and to constantly be 
um, serving being a servant in these spaces, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, Oh, I know, I know they're racist, but like if, and I hear this all the time still from, from particularly women of color who are still in those spaces. Um, but if I don't see, if I don't stay here and help them heal from their racism, like who will conditioned to think that your only purpose in life is to literally save white evangelicals. Right. Yeah. You know, and I certainly felt that. And it wasn't until I encountered the Black Madonna where I was just like, oh, I'm too sacred for this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because mm, right. I had conditioned yeah. as both a woman and a Black person that my job was to be, was to be the bridge and to constantly, you know, lay, lay my life down. And like, like Christ would for his friends, you know, and I remember as I, when I was a reconciler, I forget his name. He's some black, he's a big, big wig, black evangelical pastor. I want to say in Memphis or something, all the white people love him because of the way he moves in the end. Is it Vody? No, but he's in that circle. Yeah. But I forget yeah, this okay. guy's name. But anyways, I remember one time in like the early uh, 2010s being so disillusioned and then hearing a sermon from him saying, you know, reconcilers are bridge builders and bridge build, bridges get stepped on. And I was like so encouraged by that. I was like, oh, good. Like basically I have a cross theology to explain why, why I'm miserable. <laughs> you know, like, I literally mm-hmm. saw that as like an ethic, as like, as like an, like an empowering ethic to keep doing the work, you know? And so right. I think yep. that, that was something that started to fall away in the wake of Trump too. Just like I, I made every sacrifice possible. I wrote a book that very few evangelical pastors didn't read. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so <laughs> right. what's the effect? Like, okay. Like this, right. you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I, we had a conversation with Dante Stewart about a year ago, and he said something halfway through the conversation that continues to stick with me for a thousand different reasons. One, because it was so convicting to me as a white dude. And two, because I realized, oh, like that's what we've been asking you to do. Um, I was I was asking him in a conversation about racism and how he handles it. And, and, and he just stopped. You could tell he was so frustrated. And he's like, look, my, my damn job is not to fix you. You know, like it's not to fix white people. I'm done trying to fix you guys. Um, and, and y'all got to fix yourself. And, and, and that has stuck with me on a thousand different levels, not to mention uh, those of us who, who still sort of have relationships with individuals who, who are in those spaces or our family to people who still believe in the white male God. Mm-hmm. And and I have actually used that as sort of a mantra, like you know, even especially for my family who I continue to have conversations with, you know, well, you're going, you're going liberal, you believe in CRT, you know, you're uh, all the things. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm finally realizing, you know what, uh, if you don't have eyes to see and, and ears to hear, I can't help you. And I don't know that it's my job anymore to continue to receive the the punches and the the you know the the violence from you simply because I've walked away from the nonsense that is your version of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean I think there's a freeing word there uh, to like you know what not my problem. I'm not your I'm not <laughs> you are not my cross to bear. I'm moving on to to pursue God in in radically different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think for you, uh, I, I want to kind of get to to this 
two things that you said earlier. One, the Black Madonna and sort of the Black Divine Feminine, but also the concept of Jesus as as feminine as well, the the Christ Sophia, the the wisdom of God, you know, and, and we all know wisdom is personified in scripture as female. So can you kind of walk us through that movement or that pivot in your spiritual life to the black Madonna, the, the black divine? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, it's like late 2016. I'm just desperate. I, I know I need images that are different. I, I know I need a picture of God mm. that's different. And so I just started searching. I think I, I talked to my spiritual director about it. Um, and then I just started like kind of going to libraries and internet searches and, you know, it's so interesting because she, it, it, I didn't have to search far. <laughs> I didn't have to search mm-hmm. for very long because pretty quickly I, I got introduced to the Black Madonna, who is, you know, sort of Catholic, but also not really embraced by the Catholic Church and kind of witchy and, um, right. so, you know, like, and definitely interfaith, like all sorts of people are drawn to the Black Madonna and it's not necessarily just Catholics. Right. Um, although most black Madonnas are in the statues are, are in Catholic churches. Right. Um, so I just got, you know, I got connected to her and, you know, it was, um, uh, I saw a picture, um, I think on the internet and I didn't have a theology at all. Um, I just saw the picture and I, my entire body chemistry changed Mm. and I, Held, I think for the first time in my whole life, mm. like I realized I'd been holding my breath. Mm. Um, and I, in that, just, just seeing an, a, this sacred black feminine image of the divine, just in that moment, I was just like, but, oh, I'm sacred too. Mm. Like I, it was unbelievable, you know? Um, and so after, you know, sort of retroactively, I, I read a little bit about some of the theologies and stories of the Black Madonna, but I had by that point read so much liberation theology, um, including womanist theology, but also, you know, mujeristas. And I, I love the Palestinian liberation theologians. I had read so much liberation theology at that point that I was pretty confident that like how I interpret these images, how I interpret these stories, that, that theology is legitimate. Mm. Like I don't need a book on the black Madonna. Right. Um, And, and so that was really um, my, my, my movement towards her was really, how do I feel and what, um, what am I invite? What do I feel like some of these images are inviting me into in terms of my spirituality? Um, of course, there's lots of feminist um, theology that looks at like, you know, Christ Sophia and, you know, um, that sort of stuff. So I had some of that um, to, to integrate into my, my own spirituality, but there really isn't much on the Black Madonna. Mm, right, <laughs> and right. the, the Black liberation theology is really focused on male Christ, which isn't necessarily a problem, right. um, but it's like really focused on male, in, including the the womanists. You know, the Kelly, Kelly Brown Douglas's book is on a, is on a male Black Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the feminists are really, fo- they aren't thinking at all about race. So right, <laughs> it's right. kind of back in this, this middle again, where I'm like, but she's Black and she's female. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. <laughs> and so um, how do I connect with that. And so, you know, some of it has just been really, um, 
helpful to look at, you know, this is really through like the teachings of folks like Andrew Harvey and other folks who've just been really connected to the, and Matthew Fox, who have been really connected to the divine feminine, but going back and reading, oh, I had no idea that like saints across history have seen Jesus as female and mm-hmm. feminine and mother and, you know, right, like, right. not just feminine, but like, fe- like female, right. you know, and, and to read that. And I remember wh- where I was when I read the, the saints. Bernard of Clairvaux, quote, like, suck not so much the wounds, but the breasts of the crucified one. And Mm. I was like, what is this? How come I never heard this before? And so um, it was really empowering and awakening. Yeah. This pursuit of the divine feminine of the Black Madonna led you on a a journey, did it not? You You took a pilgrimage through France. Can you, can you walk us, can you walk us through that journey? And, and what, you experienced in looking upon these sacred objects of the divine black feminine. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, of course I'm a researcher at the time I was a professor at Duke Divinity School. So I had spent about two years um, learning about the black Madonna in the U S and I was at the same time in part because of this invitation into the divine feminine way. um, I was doing a lot of work around embodiment and connecting with my breath, mindfulness meditation, meditation, but also, you know, just like um, what we call somatics now, you know, I think it's mm-hmm. the, or embodiment practices. And so, and I'd gotten into contemplative walking as one of those practices. And so I, um, I felt in my body, this desire to see her mm-hmm. in person. And, and um, there are about 450 Black Madonnas around the world, at least the ones that are like officially recognized. There are many, 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 many more that are unofficially recognized. Um, but over 100 of the official ones are in France. And there are about um, 45 in this like region in central France. It's called the Auvergne region. And I knew nothing about this region, <laughs> um, <laughs> except that when I looked on the map, I saw there were a bunch of Black Madonnas in this region. And um, so I decided, I know, I know zero French. Um, I had um, really never, I'd maybe spent a couple days in Geneva, a couple days in Paris. So, mm-hmm. you know, not a lot of time in France. Um, not super outdoorsy at all, but I, I wanted to walk. Um, so I just, in the, t- the timing was right for me to go in November, December. So I just booked a ticket for the middle mm-hmm. of winter um, in this region that I discovered was mountainous when I got there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and um, just decided to start walking to these Black Madonnas. And so, yeah, I ended up walking um, a little over 400 miles on that. And I visited 18 different Black Madonnas. Oh, wow. I named most of them. Many of them are in these like very remote mountain villages. Um, so, you know, for example, I went to go visit the Black Madonna of La Chapelle Genet, who's in um, this mountain village that I spent about eight hours hiking direct straight uphill through the backcountry mm. um, to go see. And her village probably has a hundred people. Um, and she, I call her the mother of all bling because she is. <laughs> this like unbelievable, um, gosh, she, first of all, like she has, she's more covered in gold than most of the black Madonnas. Um, and they really range. Some of them look like pretty 
like what we'd call like, you know, socioeconomically oppressed and mm-hmm. um, right. leaguered. And some of them are in these like magnificent cathedrals. It just, it just depends. Right. Um, but she was in this like, you know, small village and, um, but her, her altar was just like covered in bling. And she even had like um, this tiny, you know, everything is ornate about her, but she has this like really tiny crown on her head, but up above her head suspended in the air is this massive crown. That's like, like it belongs in like, I don't know. I, I, it feels like a crown that like Queen Elizabeth would have stolen from somewhere in Africa. <laughs> you know? Yes. And put in the British Museum. Right. Exactly. And put in the yep. Tower of London or wherever she kept her like stolen goods. But um, yep. like in that crown is so heavy and like so intense that there's literally like a bunch of angel white angel babies who are like flying in the air holding it for her <laughs> mm. and i just thought of it as this like wow like she's so blinged out that like she doesn't even want to carry her bling like she's so magnificent <laughs> um and she has this like i call it her reparations entourage right like they're carrying her bling. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so I loved going to visit these black Madonnas and each one having like this, like this connection where I could name them, you know, mm. and, and draw something about what they're offering me as a black woman and um, celebrate with them or mourn with them. I mean, wh- when I went to visit the black Madonna of Vichy, France, um, she's called the mother. Um, she, she's called our lady of the sick. And I call her, she who's, um, What's, what's my name for her? Not she who thick thighs save lives. That's another one. Um, she who cherishes our hot mess. Um, and I was able to bring a lot of the junk I was carrying that day, which was really shame about needing to even be on the journey. Mm-hmm. Like, why didn't I awaken earlier? What's wrong with me? Um, will I ever catch up on my liberation journey after wasting so many years, you know, and to right. bring that to her and know that it's actually our it's our mess. That's our special offering to her. Mm. Um, so just have like every single one. I just had these, like just out these, these like, sort of out of this world, these, you know, out of this world experiences. Um, and so, yeah, <laughs> I think, um, being able to come face, I mean, there's, there's really, I, I can't think of an if of even a way to describe what it feels like to just be in their presence and to know that, you know, Our Lady of the Good Death, who actually I did not have to name because that's her name. Um, <laughs> she um, she's been called that since the 1100s. Wow! And people have people have journeyed to her, usually walking, um, usually brown or female or poor or disenfranchised in some other way to ask her to heal them of their false identities, the, these false identities that the world has given them, mm-hmm. um, that white male God has given them, you know, she right. just died to them and right and, and raises us in her, um, free. Um, and so, you know, just to be able to, just to know, gosh, so many other pilgrims walked this road and, um, and, and, came to her for the same reasons mm-hmm. that I am it was really powerful. So it's an ancient, it's an ancient spirituality. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was just introduced. Uh, my wife is a, a vowed religious member of the communion of the mystic rose. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a monastic community that's uh, blessed out of the Episcopal church. And one of the core foundations of their communion 
is this worship of the divine feminine. And so we have all kind of icons throughout our home. My, my wife has a, a kind of a prayer shrine and um, the Black Madonna is very present um, on her shrine. And then we were recently in Paris and, and came upon, I'm not sure if it was a, um, one of the more official Black Madonnas, but definitely a Black Madonna in one of the large cathedrals there. And just having that experience and knowledge of this is a different understanding of the sacred. Mm-hmm. And that view of the sacred changes our, our very concept of what divinity even looks like. So maybe maybe my last kind of formal question to you is, um, what is God is a black woman? What does that mean to you? And, and how does that help shape sort of the future of the way you understand and experience and express your, you know, maybe your own um, spiritual journey? How, do, how is that changing who you are? Yeah. Well, white male God said everything about who's sacred and who's profane, mm-hmm. about whose life matters and whose life doesn't matter, of who, you know, who who should be responsible for their own for choices about their bodies, who shouldn't, you know. Um and I think being connected to the black Madonna and the sacred black feminine and affirming that God is a black woman has released me to say, it doesn't matter what white male God says and his minions, um, I'm sacred too. And I think she reorders the the pecking order that Mm. white male God wants us to align ourselves with. And by saying that black women who are the least least valuable, and and I would include black trans women in that group, because I I would say black trans women are are black women, um, Mm -hmm. are the least valuable then in doing so. So, so if black women are the least valuable in white male God's world, and she says, I call them sacred because Mm -hmm. I'm one of them, then that means she calls all of us sacred for if the least are made sacred in her, then all of us are sacred. And so I think one of the ways that it's changed my, my spirituality moving forward is, um, and in, in it, as I've truly come into contact with this idea that I'm sacred, it's allowed me to affirm the sacredness and really fight for the sacredness of others. And so it certainly has energized my activism. But I think the 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 the, the thing that's been the most marked is that when I say God is a black woman, and if I believe that God is a black woman, then I don't have to control everything. Because with white male God, he was never safe and he was never on my side. Right. And so I all I, it was like it was weird because I called myself a believer, but I was really an agnostic. Which no mm-hmm. no shade to agnostics, but I called right, myself right. a believer. It doesn't make sense to be agnostic. <laughs> <if> you <laughs> always be like, oh, I'm going to serve white male God, and I'm going to pray to white male God, but I'm always going to like be hustling on the side mm-hmm. to make sure that what I think I need gets done, whether that's controlling other people, shaming other people, um, like hu- just sort of. Um, holding things to myself rather than being generous because I'm afraid, you know, just mm, stuff right. like that. And, and also that practice that, well, if I don't show up at this conference and tell them the truth, who will, you know, yep. which is a really agnostic way of doing your work. <laughs> um, and so I, now that I know that God is a black woman, I'm like, oh, it's handled. So <laughs> um, like, I trust black women to get the job done. Like, that's just a fact. <laughs> 
know, and <laughs> trust that that abundance is with me. That if God is a black woman, then I don't have to stay at this job at Duke that's killing mm-hmm. my soul. Mm-hmm. Because if God's a black woman, she doesn't want me to stay on this plantation. And right. she's going to provide for me if I make a choice towards my liberation. Like, of course. Because yeah. <laughs> um, God's a black woman. <laughs> and then, um, you know, it also has helped me to relinquish my need to control others. You know, like going back to the story you told about your family members, I can totally relate to that of this like constant, like wanting to um, persuade them in this direction, you know? Um mm-hmm. I've found that I can relinquish a lot of that need to control them because God's a black woman and Mm. she's got handled. Mm. And so rather I can then kind of get into her flow and ask myself and kind of discern, am I being invited to work with her to have these conversations with them? And if so, that's like from a place of love and empowerment and also like non-attachment to the outcome. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, or am I doing this out of that like old white male God fear that if I don't say it, it won't get said. Yep. And like, white male God has taught me that if I go on a liberation journey, I have to drag everybody else with me kicking and screaming because <laughs> I'm right. You know? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm God. Right. I, I have to kind of play God because white male God's not a real God, (laughs) you know, but I think when God's a black woman, I don't have to play God. And also I can say, Oh, I've had enough or I'm too tired to do this or just no, like, um, due to not wanting to, I will not be, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Um, because I don't have to be God anymore. I can just be regular human. Mm. Um, I don't have to save the day. I don't have to, you know, so it's like, there's so much power in this idea for me. Um, and, and I'm really, really passionate about people finding themselves in the divine. Gosh, wouldn't it be amazing if white men actually knew they were sacred? <laughs> like that would solve pretty much all the problems in the world. Right. <laughs> like if they actually knew they were sacred and they weren't constantly projecting and fighting. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, and this sort of like, yeah. And so I, you know, I want everyone to find like, so as, as much as I would love everyone. So I think it's good for everyone to Mm. believe that God is a black woman, because I think God is a black, the idea of God as a black woman is the only thing that can really heal white patriarchy, um, Mm. white patriarchal religion. Like she's the antidote to that, but Mm -hmm. she's so much more than that too. I mean, she's, she's the mother of all bling too. And she's like, you know, all these (laughs) Um, and even in the book, like, it's so funny because um, my editor wanted me to, like, write a chapter about white male God and then write, like, you know, the way we set up was kind of like a clapback chapter about mm-hmm. sacred black feminine, you know. Mm-hmm. And so you, we follow that pattern throughout the book. But then we uh, towards the end of the book, I was just like, I'm done writing about him. Like, she's yeah. not just a response to him. Right, right, right. The last few chapters, we just break that that whole pattern just breaks down. <laughs> <laughs> Again, like you're centering white male God as the as black feminine God is the um, yeah response to that. Like, no, I, I don't need to respond to this. It's bullshit. Exactly. So, right. Yeah. So she so of course she is she is an antidote to white patriarchal religion, but she's so much more than that. And so I want people to find to find her. Because 
she can heal them and also stimulate their spiritual imaginations to find themselves in the divine mm. in this really powerful way that's transformative. My brother, um, you know, he's, he's on a, my brother's evangelical and he's completely on a different journey than me. Um, but we've remained close throughout this period. And just, just recently, cause we have a, we have a phone date once a week. And um, recently he, we had a, co- a conversation where there was some, dis- some theological dis- disagreement. He went to Yale Divinity School. So he, he can hold his own um, in terms of conversation me on theology. And we had this disagreement and, um, we talked, we talked about it for about an hour. And afterwards he said, you know what, like two years ago, I probably couldn't have even stayed in this conversation with me, with you, because you would have been so, um, so angry, so quick to judge. Mm -hmm. So, um, like just wanting to push your agenda, you know? And he's like, Mm-hmm. we just talked through it and I got to, and you shared like very powerfully on what you think, you know, he's like, like it's still there. Mm-hmm. He says, right. but you said it in a way that allowed me to hear it. And actually I feel like I learned a lot of things, even though I, part of that conversation was me really challenging him, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just said, well, yeah, well, I don't believe, I, I believe that God's a black woman now, so I don't have to be God in everyone's life. Mm. Like, and that's just like an example of how it just shows up in even complex relationships, <laughs> you know, right. this where even my brother can recognize, oh my gosh, there's like a, there's a release. There's a, there's a flow mm-hmm. that you're tapped into that you didn't have before. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't have that before. I was like deathly afraid all the time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. And so it's powerful, you know, and I keep learning. Um, so <laughs> when it, and it allows you to just open your hands mm-hmm. and be like, you know what, I'm I'm not here to convince you or to con- control you. This is my journey. Mm-hmm. I, I wish mm-hmm. you to find the peace that I have found. And the affirmation and the, the liberation and mm-hmm. um, yeah, and it's and that's that's a very I mean. I'm saying this as if it's super unique to the sacred black feminine. It's not, you know, the divine feminine spirituality is really non-hierarchical, right? It's not about Mm. priests. We don't need anyone to mediate our relationship with the divine. And so um, I can just trust that. Okay. Well, she can communicate with them. Mm -hmm. Right. She doesn't need me to communicate with them. (laughs) (laughs) And they don't need me to be their priest and their judge and their, you know, (laughs) Yeah. right. No, exactly. Exactly. And I think that's where many of us find ourselves when there is this tension and dissonance between Mm -hmm. who we were and the people that are are still in our lives that that haven't gone on the journey with us. And there is a freedom to just be like, you know what? It's not my role. Um, I wish you well. I bless, you know. I, I hope you can see the truth. But I, I'm also relinquishing my desire to come back and and try to change you. You know, because I think the hardest people to love are the folks you've left behind. And and there is a point where you really do want them to see what you have seen. And again, you, once you realize that's not my place, I'm actually playing the role of white male god here. It's pretty convicting, and you can move on. And for the first time, I finally have an image of the divine where I can bring that pain to the divine and say, here are all these folks that I love dearly and mm. I, I hurt for them. And, right. and this is really painful. And I could never bring that to white male God. You know, I would have just been chastising myself. I would, well, Christina, be stronger or be more eloquent and persuasive. And, you know, your apologetics are bad or, you know, whatever. Right. And now I can yep. just be like, oh, and, 
oh, and Our Lady of the Good Death, she'll grieve with me mm. over that. That's a death, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Like, mm. right. um, it's powerful to ha- finally be like, oh, I can, I really, really, really can take these things to God mm. and just wow. stay here. I don't have a solution. I don't have a plan. I don't have energy. It's just, let's just here, here. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, this has been an incredible conversation. Dr. Cleveland, thank you so much for for those of our listeners who want to engage with you more. I know you have a very robust um, online presence and lots of resources. Where can they both uh, glean uh, more from you as well as support the work that you are doing in this in this yeah. effort? Yeah, there are a couple ways. One, like go to my website and get on my email list because we have a God as a Black Woman Freedom Journal that goes out every month. Um, that's like images and music and, and sections from the book that we excerpt and um, mantras. Mm-hmm. So like, that's that's super fun, totally free, um, a great way to just get connected. I also have a pretty like um, lively Patreon community, and that's a wonderful way to support my work. I actually just wrote an article just for Patreon yesterday about how the Black Madonna heals our ancestral pain. Um, and so there's lots of resources going out there that are exclusive to that community. And I'd love for people to join us there. And we're also um, always offering online offerings and we'll be planning some in-person events for 2023, which is really exciting. So Wonderful. And I will we'll put all that in the show notes and, and provide links and, and information for people to, to find you online. Yeah, so thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I know you've got to run. This has been a, a real treat. We had some technical difficulties, but I think we weathered the storm. And okay, we handled I, 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 yeah, <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just incredibly humbled to have been able to share this space with you to, to learn from you and just Godspeed on, on all that you are doing. And, and I hope we can stay in touch. Thank you, Gary Allen. I really, it's been a joy to be on here with you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this reorienting conversation with Dr. Christina Cleveland. And as we go, I would love to leave you with a prayer that has been very meaningful to me throughout the years as I have replaced the vision of God as father with the vision of God as mother. And this is a prayer that was written by Father Brendan E. Williams, who is the prior of the Communion of the Mystic Rose. It's a monastic community of vowed religious seekers that my wife is a member of. And what I love about their community is their entire ethos is dedicated to the divine feminine. And so I offer this prayer to you as a way of helping you to see and experience God in a beautiful female perspective. Mother of divine grace, strength of the weak and comfort of all who suffer, sustenance of every incarnate soul, remember me as your child and servant and surround me with your maternal protection. Lady of truth, teach me your ways of gentleness, humility, and faith, of courage in the face of uncertainty, honor in a world of dishonor, equanimity and surrender to the ever-changing currents of life. Hear my humble prayer, O Mother of God, for you are my light and my hope, my soul's homing star on the endless pilgrim journey. Amen. Thank you for joining us. This episode was produced by the Sophia Society and written by Gary Allen Taylor. Music is by Faith and Foxholes. If you need more resources to guide your spiritual journey, head to sophiasociety.org 
for articles, resources, and our free ebook on faith deconstruction. And before we go, will you consider joining us on Patreon? Your partnership allows us to continue creating this sacred space for seekers like you. By becoming a patron, you gain early access to each podcast episode, as well as premium content, and an exclusive invitation to join our monthly online community. Simply sign up at patreon.com slash holyheretics. See you next time.